Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's the international break, which means Ryan Bailey is refusing to record. Graham Ruthman can only talk about Scotland. So it's myself and Mr. Joe Lowry here today to discuss the USMNT's comprehensive, not at all frustrating, 3-0 win over Uzbekistan. Joe Lowry, how you doing, buddy? Taylor, I'm doing great. I mean, what a win. 3-0 over a sneaky good team in Uzbekistan. (laughs) BJ Callahan is really pushing all the right buttons, despite having to go three deep at the number six spot, just 30 minutes. Wait, it wasn't BJ? Oh, never mind. This was a disaster, Taylor, for Greg Berhalter's team. They should be beating bad teams like this by four, five, six goals. Berhalter out. Really, really disaster. Berhalter out. Joe Joe has uh, swung dramatically in the opening moments of this podcast. I can't express to you how frustrated I was scrolling through Twitter. <laughs> so you and I both watched this game on a little bit of a delay. Yeah. So I'd mm-hmm. seen the reaction. I think you tried to shield yourself a bit more from it. It was just a reminder to me about all of the all the folks that can twist the narrative into whatever they want it to be, right? BJ Callahan wins a Gold Cup game, and he is the savior of this program. Greg Berhalter coaches a team that beats a team in Uzbekistan by three goals, and he is the devil. It just, it, it blows my mind, Taylor. It really does. It's honestly comical at a certain point. Yeah. So I wanted to infuse some of that, hopefully, lightheartedness into the intro. I appreciate that, my friend. I appreciate the lightheartedness. I appreciate you taking the time to record today. We chose not to record over the weekend because it's a fairly meaningless friendly. It is the return of Greg Burhalter, but it's also Uzbekistan. We felt like we could save it for Monday. But Joe, you're heading out. You're going to be gone for the rest yeah. of the week. Uh, I'm telling you things you already know, but I'm also telling the audience <laughs> at the same time. I do already know, which is good, because if I didn't know, I, I'm <laughs> yeah, not right. sure I'd be able to get packed in time. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm going on a trip. My wife and I are going uh, to Europe for a few weeks. The first week will be the only week off. That'll be some time in London. Just We're just doing the Ryan, Ryan Bailey redemption tour, to be honest, is what we're doing. So we're, we're hitting London first, the only city in England, really, that's worth visiting, according to Ryan Bailey. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to hit Rome, which I think he would probably say, you can skip that one. But we're doing it anyway. We'll be working you know, for, for the rest of the trip after London. But we're, we're super excited and glad that we could at least hit some U.S. chat before that, because I'm going to miss yeah, the man. Tuesday game. And I hate that I'm like actually kind of bummed about that. But here I am. Here you are. I appreciate that you're going on the Ryan Bailey Redemption Tour. I also like to think of it as the Ryan Bailey Apology Tour. I assume you're just planning to walk through the streets with a giant cut out of Sorry Ryan. About apologizing him, guys. For Sorry. Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. He just loves Starbucks, guys. I can't explain it. I know it's weird, but we're, we're sorry. I suppose the, the next step of that could be that, yeah, you, you, uh, you then scroll through Twitter uh, on the Greg Berhalter Apology Tour. Greg Berhalter <laughs> back in charge of the U.S. for this game. Which, as you said, we watched on delay. I had seen a little bit of the response, uh, including, I believe, Berhalter himself saying that we need to be better. We need to improve. I saw a lot of jokes about crossing. So I think I was expecting this to be 
a somewhat poor performance. I thought maybe it was going to finish 1-0. I thought maybe Uzbekistan would get something uh, from a series of U.S. mistakes uh, that we did see, and maybe it would finish 1-1. So 3-0 as a scoreline, not that bad. But I think that they started so electric and then faded, in my opinion, so quickly is a big reason why I feel like people were underwhelmed uh, for this game. But Joe, the most underwhelming thing for me, uh, if we're starting with the negatives, is that I could not find it. Uh, I don't know if that's a me problem. Uh, I checked every streaming app I have. I guess TNT is on Fubo, but not on Fubo, and that's where this one was being broadcast. So eventually... I found it on Peacock. Did you have any issues or were you just uh, aware right away? I did the exact okay. same thing, Taylor. I searched Fubo. I was like, what? 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 Like, where? where is this right? thing? And then I remembered it's been a while since we've had one of these Turner games. I think maybe April when we were in New York was the last one of those that we've had. So I'd forgotten that they that that broadcast deal existed to begin with, and then I realized I don't have HBO Max. How do I find this thing? And Peacock in Spanish, there Via Telemundo, is. is your friend. I watched this game in Spanish. Understood occasionally some things along the way I got when the U.S. are playing with 10 men when Jedi Robinson was briefly down with what looked like a minor injury but he ends up coming off Christopher Lund comes on for him late in this match so I got little bits and pieces from the commentary but I was watching on Telemundo wow we've we've reached the point with streaming services for me at least where I forget who has acquired whom and so I was forgetting that and thinking that Turner had been acquired by Paramount so I checked the Paramount Plus app did not think to check HBO Max. Joe, thank you for that. I will keep that in mind going forward. But I did struggle for this one, eventually finding it on Peacock uh, and enjoyed being able to take my own notes and not listening to the commentators, which I know is the Joe Lowry approach. Did you have a similar feeling about this game? Where were you in terms of uh, the overall takeaways? I feel like in our pre-match, our quick pre-match chat, I think we sort of don't have as many big picture thoughts uh, Berhalter didn't revolutionize the squad no big tactical adjustments but maybe more individual performance notes I think that's a lot of where my notes ended up there's a couple of individuals that I think had an outsized impact on the game which tells us a lot about them and did sort of dictate the flow of this game and, and really the one that I think we'll spend a decent amount of time talking about is when Luca De La Torre comes off with a little mm-hmm. bit of a, a head injury hopefully he's okay and then it's Tanner Tessman that comes on. And I, I thought Tessman was atrocious in this game, truly. I thought he really, yeah. really struggled. He was the worst player, certainly in, in U.S. colors, and, and maybe one of the worst players on the field for as long as he was actually on the field. And with him playing the number six spot, he had so much responsibility to conduct U.S. attacks, breaking down a low block, and he just could not do it. So that shift, really, it is based on individuals, but I think it had grander tactical ramifications as well. And there's maybe a couple other players that that fit into that category. Yeah, so it's De La Torre uh, coming off. He has uh, a head-to-head collision, neither one obviously intending it with uh, Ronoff. And you can tell right away there is blood pouring out of his nose. I'm pretty sure that's a broken nose. I was not surprised to see him substituted. So we hope he's doing better from a, you know, we just hope you're feeling better standpoint, but also from a U.S. perspective, because when Tanner Tessman comes on, It's not great. And he is a player that I spotlighted when we talked about some of the Americans abroad last week. And I was sort of struggling to find a way to encapsulate what I was feeling, which is basically like he looks good enough in Serie B, but Mm -hmm. I see deficiencies in his game that I would like to be tighter, his control on the ball, some of his dribbling, some of his passing decisions. I thought he looked good in spurts. He hits the great free kick. He has some good possession, some good passing. And I think we think we saw some of that. I feel like there were moments when we saw him good in control, good on the ball, playing a couple smart passes. 
But much more uh, common in this game were the individual mistakes to the point where it felt like a full on quicksand game by the end where he just it was the he he goes to receive and you can tell he's thinking, just take it cleanly, just receive it cleanly. Don't make a mistake. And as soon as you're telling yourself that you're going to make a mistake and that's the one where it pops up, then he tries to control it. Then he almost falls over, passing it backwards. And I think a better team uh, capitalizes on that one. So a rough day from him. I think we'll talk more about him uh, later on a, a an OK performance overall for the United States. And I think partially why people were so disappointed, in my opinion, is just that they started so well, that they looked really electric in their passing and their moving, some good individual moments, some good individual carries and take-ons. And obviously the goal, a, I would say overhit cross, I think the ball is meant maybe for the back post, but it might be for McKenney. Either way, the way he controls it, the way he then sort of dribbles around in the box, has defenders on him, maybe a higher quality of opponent would not let him dribble the way he does, but it's a nice little uh, Travella layoff, which is to say he touches it with the outside of his foot. It's not so fancy. Your way sounded better. It sounded better the way you said it. And then then from the one angle, which is maybe a good representation of this game, is this first goal. That, like, from the the broadcast angle, it's McKinney bringing it down uh, really well and then holding up, holding up, nice little dribbles, lays it off. Tim Weah just smacks that ball into the, the far corner. What a great goal. And then you watch it on the replay, and it's like maybe fortunate that McKinney can control it. Then it's a massive deflection is why it ends up uh, going in. Maybe it goes in at the near post, but it takes a big deflection and goes in at the far post. And so what seems to be a beautiful goal, what seemed to be a comprehensive 3-0 win was maybe not fortunate necessarily, but maybe not as like well worked as it might have seemed. Yeah, I think that's a nice microcosm of the game, Taylor. I hadn't really considered that. I was mostly focused on how every time Tim Way is in the box, he manages to just hit the tar out of the soccer <laughs> yes, ball. Does. Like he hits the ball <laughs> so hard. I want to see Tim Way and Daryl DK do like a, a shot speed competition because those two guys just hit the absolute crap out of the ball every yes, single time they're in, in the box. If, if. Tim Way is not like combining and doing tricks and flicks. He's going to hit the tar off the ball. It's yep. awesome to watch. And, and you're right, though. It is a fortunate moment. The U.S. in general, as far as the flow of this game, I agree with you. I thought they started well. Now, they weren't doing like mind-bending stuff out on the field. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that that I'll get to eventually when we talk about some individual players. But they looked, you know, they looked fine. Or they looked good in the opening stages of this game. They get a goal. It's a nice sequence. Ultimately, I do like what McKinney does in the box there. And Tim Way is just, he's just dangerous in those moments. It's hard to to really quantify because he's not a super goal dangerous player as a winger. He hasn't scored many goals at all in his career. And now he's playing as a wingback for for Max Allegri and Juve, which I think is perfect for him because he's not always goal dangerous inside the final third. But something about when he puts on a U.S. jersey, he becomes... Just this more, even more clever, more effective attacking presence. He was like that all the way through World Cup qualifying. There were nice moments early on. And then it felt like the U.S. started to take their foot off the gas a little bit after that goal. And then they almost found more momentum and they found a way back in. And, and the sequence that I'm thinking of in particular is, I think it's a Dest cross in the 15th minute. He looks for Balogun, he can't find him. And then a minute later, the 16th minute, Dest plays a great ball into the box from McKenney at the back post. This time, the ball is absolutely intentional from Dest on the right side. And McKenney does fantastic work to head the ball back across for Balogun, who's in a great spot. And he heads it, and he just can't quite head it on frame. He misses just wide. It's a miss that he'll, he'll kick himself over. But for me, and Graham always explains this better than I do, I, I put more stock in whether players are finding chances, assuming that eventually at this level the finishes will come, than maybe a, an obscure finish even like the one way it has, right? So I like the work Balogun does there and, and generally thought he was good in this game. But after that chance, it started to dip again. And, and it felt like the U.S. were maybe just 
like kind of here to get out a little bit. They're here to not get injured. The club season's just started. It's harder to get up for this game objectively than it would have been for a window where you're playing Argentina and Brazil, which let's not forget was the initial plan from U.S. soccer. Those games were ready. And then Commonwealth comes out and says, oh, sorry, World Cup qualifying on these dates. You're not going to play our teams. So it's not an ideal set of circumstances. And, and, and then again, I keep coming back to this. De La Torre comes off, Tessman comes on, and the tempo just dies at the base of midfield. And that really hurt the U.S. Yeah, a couple things there. First of all, I love that you give Graham credit for that one because I believe every time Graham brings up that premise, he gives you credit for it. So it's a mutual appreciation society between the <laughs> two of you. Uh, this one felt to me like when they get that opening goal, there is obviously coming from a much lower level for me, but there is a thing about like you you get ready for kickoff, you've got your team out there, you've got the opposition there, and you never fully know what they're going to spring, what they're going to look like, what sort of formations and approaches they're going to have. And so you can have that moment of like, okay, here we go. I got to be up for it. And then when you score so easily, <laughs> um, so early, I think there can be a like relaxation of that energy. There can be a feeling of, Oh, okay. Like, this is what it's going to be. They're going to make mistakes. They're not going to pressure us. They're going to let us have some time. We got this. And I think you look at some of those chances that you just described, especially that Balogun header, where McKenney puts it back across. Balogun does well to to get the kind of change in direction, doesn't get this, the power behind it necessarily, but it comes off that post. And in those moments, I think it just felt like the U.S. started to feel like, we got this. We can kind of create as we want, do what we want, take people on, try stuff, see what happens. And once there is that little dip in focus, that little dip in energy and intensity, I think it bleeds into the team. And I do feel like you started to see a lot more players trying to carry the ball forward and trying to do things on an individual basis. Jedi Robinson has a few in the first half where it just feels like he uh, is thinking he can just carry it forward without anybody really bothering him. He loses the ball a couple times. Pulisic does the same. There was a very uncharacteristic moment from Weston McKinney in the opening 20 where he is waiting for a ball to come to him in the middle of the pitch. He just stands there and sort of is on his heels, basically waiting to receive and an Uzbek player just steps in, wins it. Nothing comes of it. But I think the ball is cleared. The attack breaks down. And it was a lot of those moments, I think, as the game went on. It was just a little bit slower, a little bit more individual than trying to move the ball quickly and, and hit those crosses and, and stretch Uzbekistan and then find the gaps between. And so I thought what was a, a strong start ended up as a sort of like, yeah, okay, good game, but it's a friendly and it's Uzbekistan and we'll see what happens next, except it's not the strongest opponent there either. Uh, so it does feel like these friendlies... There's a reason why we're not recording this on the weekend and why we're recording it on Monday morning. I think if this were Brazil and the U.S. managed to play to a nil-nil draw, we would have been hyped to talk about it. I think when it's Uzbekistan, there's that immediate like, yeah, OK, we're going to win. So what's it going to look like? Whether or not that arrogance is fair or smart is a different conversation. But that's sort of where I am on this game, broadly speaking. I'd have to go back through all the results, but it, it seems to me that the U.S. in general tends to play better in games where they have to get up for it. Yep. Like they, they have to play better in games where they know they're going to be tested. I think about uh, Christian Pulisic and, and this team coming out over the summer in Nations League and, and truly dominating both Mexico and Canada in games that, okay, if we're not on it, guys, we could lose this match, right? We could suffer in this game. I think about different times at the World Cup, maybe the Netherlands game, we pushed that one aside, but in moments where the, the team kind of has to get up for it, it wasn't yep. flawless from the team at the World Cup by any stretch of the imagination. But, no, but to your point, just yeah. to jump in, I would say like the England game in my mind is the best game they played at that tournament. And it's because they knew that's the strongest uh, position. That's the one where we've got to be really fighting for every single thing. We've got to pay attention to our marks. We've got to do everything that we've been tasked with doing. 
it didn't feel like that in the Wales game. It didn't feel like that in the Iran game necessarily. But I agree with you. I think in those moments, that's when they tend to rise to the occasion. And, and it feels like then in moments like this where it's either a friendly and it's there's not really a lot on the line or maybe the, the level of the opponent is just not quite there. And we saw this at times during World Cup qualifying. We've seen this at times in the past. This team just struggles maybe mentally to get up forward. And I think we saw some of that from the players recognizing like, guys, this wasn't Good enough. Yes, it's a friendly. Yes, we won 3-0, but two of our goals came in second half stoppage time. Like, we know we can do more than this. And part of me wonders if there is that little mental shift that maybe comes with experience and saying, hey, we, we have to go out there and do a job. And ultimately, they did do a job in this match. But Matt Turner had to do a little bit more of a job towards yeah. the end of the first half and, and little bits and pieces of the second than he would have liked. And the other piece of that, when you think about the type of opponent that Uzbekistan is and, and the challenges that they presented to the U.S., they were defending largely... In a 5-4-1 mid-block, the left winger would step forward a little bit, and so sometimes it looked like a 5-3-2. But they're in this mid-block shape that was fairly aggressive when the ball actually came and entered their shape. But the impetus was clearly on the U.S. to create the chances, and I'm not sure they love that, right? Even though Greg Berhalter talks about wanting to create chances with the ball, and this team has improved in that regard, still with a lot of work left to be done, clearly. But I think about someone like Christian Pulisic, and I alluded to this earlier, I did not think he was good in this game. The number of turnovers that he has in the first half trying to drive at Uzbekistan's right wing back and the number of times he's just there dancing and can't beat him, right? He's taking too many touches, but ultimately he's trying to set himself up to drive by the guy, but he just could not get by. The second half was a little better. He starts to draw a few more fouls. There was there were better looks there, but Pulisic and, and Weya and Destin, these players, just like really most soccer players, they thrive in open space. They thrive being able to drop a shoulder and drive by a guy in transition And the U.S. just didn't have a ton of those looks on Saturday. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about some more individual performances, some more individual moments back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, Joe. Uh, before the break, I said we were going to talk individuals. To do so, we should probably talk about the overall shape of the game. Uh, in the preview, I speculated, maybe a little bit more than you did, uh, that we could see the U.S. in a back three. Burhalter was asked about it. He was sort of coy in his answer. Shock of all shocks. Uh, we did not see a back three. It felt to me like we saw a pretty familiar approach from the U.S. in this game. It was familiar, Taylor. No, you mentioned it earlier, like no real macro tactical shifts. The U.S.'s defensive shape was still that 4-3-3. Maybe they sat a little deeper without the ball at times. And, and Berthers mentioned, I think, earlier this week or last week, I guess it would be wanting to add maybe a touch more stability in their mid-block defending and, and not having to press all the time. So that's one thing that we can watch for over the next however many years Berthers around. But in possession, it was a lot of the same stuff. <laughs> Ooh, the base shape. That's interesting. I mean... Uh, maybe it's through 2026. I'm not, it's not impossible that he could lose his job before now and then. I'm not advocating for that necessarily, but just trying to cover my bases here. That's all I'm saying. But really, it was the same general shape for the U.S. 4-3-3, Matt Turner in goal, Serginio Dest, Chris Richards, Tim Ream, and Jedi Robinson across the back four. Luca De La Torre was the six. Now, when Baralter basically just dropped the lineup in a presser before this, which I don't think he's ever done before, I thought it, it could be Yunus Musa at the number six in this game when Baralter announced it. It very much was not. It was Luca De La Torre as the number six and Yunus Musa and Weston McKinney as the two number eights. And he had Florin Balogun up top as the nine. Christian Pulisic on one wing on the left. Tim Weah on the other wing on the right side. The only real like, wrinkles to that was sometimes Musa would drop a bit deeper and build up than McKinney. That's something that we have seen before. Sometimes Serginio Dest would temporarily form that back three. But then you look on the near side in the first half and Jedi Robinson was, was fairly deep as well. And so there were just a lot of familiar shapes and rotations not a ton of obvious new things, maybe a couple of very tiny wrinkles, but this was mostly what we expected from this group to try and set up these individuals to succeed. Yeah. And so like Pulisic, for example, I think in the second half, I saw starting more narrow, more in the half space. And I think the idea there was uh, with Uzbekistan in a back five at times that you pull everybody more centrally. Uh, and then when the ball would go wide to Jedi, that's when he would make the sort of like curling run in behind or into that gap where there would then be more space to theoretically exploit, not necessarily saying that they did that particularly effectively. And I'm not even saying that's a like tactical wrinkle. We'll see a bunch. I feel like it's just a natural adjustment to a team in a back five. So kind of the standard approach, a few little wrinkles along the way. I think that lends itself towards a conversation about individual performances then, which is something we already hit on uh, at points. Let's start with Christian Pulisic. Uh, you, you felt like he wasn't great in this one that he was trying to do too much. I would largely agree with that. I feel like whenever we see him against a bunkered opponent, once some of those kind of patterns of play and big switches, uh, like really nice quick sequences of possession and, and wall passes and give and goes sort of breaks down, it does feel like he oftentimes tries to do too much. And I did feel like that was the case uh, at times in this game. Yeah, it feels like there are two versions of Christian Pulisic. One is this dynamic, incredible Christian Pulisic that we've seen mm -hmm. with AC Milan. We've seen with the U.S. plenty in the past. And the other version is is this one, or at least the first half that we saw from Christian Pulisic, where he's just taking too many touches, he's trying to set himself up to drive inside, but doesn't move 
quick enough to actually accomplish that goal. He has the cross in the fourth minute. Like he has a couple of good ideas, good good drive down and, and tries to play the ball across in the seventh minute that doesn't ultimately lead to anything. But then 14th minute, turnover. 21st minute, turnover. 26th minute, turnover. Like you can run through this list where he just wasn't super sharp. And that's when I think about Maybe it's the mentality of being in this camp against this particular opponent. Maybe it's just an off day. That's totally possible as well. And he was locked in and things just weren't coming off. Or maybe it is the style of opponent that Christian Pulisic struggles against. I think it's inarguable when you look at his game. He's a player, ultimately, who thrives when he can use his speed. Like, he's quick, he's lightning quick, and he's technical in a vertical way. And when you take away that space ahead of him, it is much easier to at least slow him down. I think Uzbekistan honestly did a fairly good job of slowing him down in this game. Uh, on the opposite side of the pitch, I thought Tim Weah was his usual electric self. I think I wrote multiple times, I love Tim Weah. I did, in fact. I have it, I heart Tim Weah in my notes. Uh, because there is, if nothing else, there is always going to be that energy and the the work rate and the willingness to run. And I think that's like a, an obvious skill, but also an underrated one at times. And he has the moment in the 20th minute when there's an overhit cross or no one's in the box to get on the end of it. It's a low cross, and it looks like it's going out, maybe for a U.S. throw, but maybe there's a deflection along the way. Either way, he hustles a good 30 yards. He slides, he keeps it in, and then he passes it back, and then the U.S. are able to recycle possession. And it's just those moments like that where he's just he's always working, he's always engaged. Uh, I felt like he was good on the ball in the moments he was. I felt like he got into good attacking positions. He has one in the second half where he heads it just wide, and obviously he scores the goal, albeit with the deflection. But once again, a, another strong performance from Tim Weah. I, I am... Overall, I think I'm, I'm pretty good with this being the front three uh, that we sort of default to in games. I think it kind of has to be, Taylor, to be honest. And, and I think we're, again, at the point, I'm hesitant to overreact to a game like this because mm -hmm. Uzbekistan, not, not a great team, even though they put in a decent showing here in this game. Yeah, agree. I think if, if this front three is going to be disrupted, it's not going to be Tim Weah or Falor and Balogun that are going to be losing their spots. And, yeah. and the reality is, I think, for interpersonal reasons inside the locker room that are justified, Christian Pulisic is probably a locked-in starter between now and 2026, but on merit, I would be intrigued to see Giorena when he's back in and healthy. If he's going to be in the front line, I'd be curious to see him on that left side or move Wea over to the left and move Reina on the right side, whatever you want to do there. But I think of the three, certainly in this game, and uh, and maybe even zooming out to look at a larger sample, like Pulisic might be the one that comes out. But the reality is we don't have to worry about those things right now. Tim Weah was, was fairly good in this game, likes to combine. He's pretty consistent for the national team, more so than, than Pulisic on the other side, even if he doesn't have the same high highs. I love what he brings, and I'm really excited to see him continue to prove himself in a slightly different role with Juventus that could help him continue to improve even with the national team as well. Uh, while we're sort of on the topic, worth mentioning, we talked a little bit about Gio Reyna, specifically that it was uh, reported after the press conference that he had he had had a break instead of just a pull or a muscle tear or something like that, that there had been a fracture. That's why he had been out so long. Derek Ray, I saw tweeting over the weekend that he has actually returned to training Gio Reyna, that he's maybe a couple weeks away from likely getting some playing time. So a positive situation there because it felt very negative for a moment of like, oh, no, it's a leg break. We don't know how long he's going to be out. Maybe he's out for a couple more months. So to have him potentially back fairly soon makes me makes me happy for him. Uh, makes me happy for the U.S. because talent is good. Uh, Joe, are there other players that we should spotlight in a more positive way? I feel like we've been mixed to negative on this one so far. But Wea, I think we're both pretty enthusiastic about. I'm going to guess you've got some thoughts on Balogun. 
Yeah, I liked Florin Balogun in this game. I'm really curious about your opinion on him because he has that chance in the 16th minute, the header yep. from McKenney that finds Balogun, the shot goes wide. He has a handful of other really useful actions, I thought. I'll run through a couple of them. The 20th minute, he has a great ball across the face of goal from Jedi Robinson, but doesn't attack it, right? In, in that moment, he I think he's waiting for more of a cutback than a, a sort of sliding mm-hmm. finish just at the mouth of the goal. So that one wasn't quite there, but you can see you know, him sort of trying to feel out his teammates and still the other way around, just his third opportunity now to play a game with the United States. The 28th minute felt like he finally got a touch to his feet, created a little separation for himself with a good turn and some shifty touches. And the shot on goal is not a a great one, but he created a shot for himself in that moment. 37th minute tries to get in behind on a ball from McKenney, ends up getting on the end of that one and earns a corner kick. 45th minute, great hold-up play, turns, faces forward, beats a player, and then combines with Weah, even though it doesn't lead to anything. And that was it for Valigan. So some some good actions and some ones that show maybe there's still work for him to do and work for his teammates to do to find him. Pepe comes on for him in the 45th minute, and, and, and that's really the start of the second half, right? And that's because Valigan didn't have much of a, a regular preseason, often training on the side with Arsenal, made his Monaco debut not this past weekend when the U.S. played, but the weekend before, came off the bench, but is still maybe not quite 90 minutes fit at this point of the season. So that was a pre-planned substitution from Greg Berhalter. I thought he was good. I just didn't think Balogun was overly involved. Right? Yep. I think that's where I come off in this game. And I would like to see him more involved because I think on talent, he is probably the best player that's in this camp for the United States men's national team. He's a difference maker, Taylor, but maybe that connection with his teammates still needs to come and develop. And that's just going to take time. Yep. Yeah, that's about where I am with it. Uh, he has the one off the post that I was... Frustrated by in the moment, mostly just because I wanted him to score a goal. For sure. Watching it a couple more times, it's a strange thing that, like, when it's a great, uh, like, centering header back across goal from McKinney, you spotlighted that already. It is a, like, a well hit ball, a well struck ball. There's a lot of speed behind that cross to the back post. So I think McKinney does well to kind of get the cushion header back across. Uh, I'm setting that up to then say it does sort of put Balogun in a slightly difficult position because he is making the run towards that far post. He's basically crashing, framing goal. And and when the header comes in, I think he has to stop his momentum fully and essentially just go straight up in the air without much sort of momentum behind him. And I think if he starts that run maybe two yards deeper, he's then meeting it with the speed to put it in the back of the net. I'm not criticizing him. What I'm saying is that I think because of what how he's forced to sort of stop his run and adjust, I'm kind of impressed that he puts it almost on frame. I guess hitting the post isn't on frame, but I still think for him to be in those spots is a positive sign, especially because in the opening five minutes, he is everywhere. He is at one point... uh, not quite between the two center backs, but like he's basically pops up as a left center back briefly to get on the ball. Uh, I saw him out wide creating overloads on both sides, usually on the left side, but sometimes drifting over to the right. I saw him more centrally, but in the midfield and then even in deeper positions, it felt like he was roaming around trying to get on the ball, trying to pull players out. But then so often when we see a player do that, they're then not as involved in the attack or they're making late arriving runs or they're crashing the box after the crosses come in and after there's chaos that he is inside the six yard box when McKenney hits that header back across to me says he is trying to be on the ball. He is trying to engage and pull players out, but then also still function as a striker essentially. And I think to do all of those things, 
and do them all really well is a difficult task. And it's especially difficult at international level when you don't get the reps, you don't get the time to sort of fully gel. So I think it is a work in progress. It's a thing that we'll continue to see get sharper and get better. And the timing will probably be a little bit more precise. I think we'll probably say, see him stay more centrally on occasion, especially against more challenging opposition. But I thought overall a a fine to good performance for Balogun. Uh, and I think that it's only 46 minutes means like if you look at FOTMOB, I think he has the lowest rating of any player who started this game. Uh, I'm going to assume Tanner Tessman has a lower rating. I would uh, hope he does, because otherwise I don't trust FOTMOB ratings anymore. <laughs> Not that I ever fully did. Uh, but I, I think for Balogun, uh, an overall good to fine game. Yeah. I would say a fine game for Pulisic and a good game for Wea across the front line. Uh, another another man who I know is uh, near and dear to your heart, Joe, who I would say, if we're talking about best performers on the day for the United States, Matt Turner probably has to be in that conversation for me. I, I think he absolutely has to be, Taylor. He's the one that kind of saves the U.S. in a couple mm-hmm. of those oopsie moments that happen yeah. towards the latter stages of the first half. The one that really stood out to me was the save after Reem gifts a shot to Uzbekistan. Reem is just not aware or not moving quickly enough on the ball inside the U.S.'s own half. He loses it. Uzbekistan drive down, and, and Tim Reem's not going to catch them, right, at this point in his career. So Matt Turner has to come up big and, and literally make himself big. It's a great save. And... and We've seen these moves from Matt Turner before. I don't think this is just a byproduct of him getting minutes actually in the Premier League and becoming a starter week in and week out. But surely that doesn't hurt, right? And Turner, I thought, was was basically flawless in this game. He didn't do a lot wrong. He didn't have a ton to do outside of a couple of those oopsie moments from the U.S., but he did his job well and continues to be the very, very clear number one for this team. Taylor, can I can I take Turner and kind of dovetail out a little bit to look at a couple of those mistakes from the US that happened in the latter stages of that first half? You may. Yes, let's go. Man, <laughs> I, I was really on pins and needles to see what you were going to say. Uh, like I said earlier, I think that bringing on Tanner Tessman really killed the momentum in this game. And I, I'm not trying to have this be my anti-Tanner Testament agenda, but I think in this game, he really did but struggle. Be. <laughs> of all the things, I kind of kidded in the intro about like, oh, you know, this would have been a great yeah. BJ coaching performance, but was a Burhalter disaster class. Just to look at how ridiculous some of those narratives are. I, I do think that was the biggest error that Greg Berhalter made. I, I think after seeing Yunus Musa at the six this summer, Starting him there or moving him there once Luca De La Torre has to come off and bringing on Malik Tillman earlier than he did would have been the right move. And you think about the level that Tessin's playing at and his issues controlling the ball that we've talked about on this show. I think that was a bit naive. I don't blame Berhalter entirely for wanting to try it. I will blame Berhalter if we see Tessman in that role again in a meaningful kind of game or, or even to be honest on Tuesday against Oman after this performance. But I think that's the biggest mistake in my mind that Greg Berhalter made in this match was with his his first sub off the bench of bringing on Tessman for De La Torre. I didn't think that move worked, and, and part of the issue was, like I mentioned earlier, the tempo just died, right? He didn't move the ball fast enough, Tessman, at the base of midfield to the point where he was getting pressed or he was getting rattled because passes weren't coming off, and he the game was maybe moving a little bit too fast for him, and he's the first player to give up a really obvious look to Uzbekistan. Prior to the 42nd minute of this yep. game, they had nothing. Like, I think the, the the right wing back of Uzbekistan had driven forward and hit, like, a crazy roped yeah. ball that almost came on frame. But there, there were a couple of shots that's, like, maybe one out of 100 times they find the back of the net. And truthfully, you can't worry about every single one because they are low percentage chances, even if they end up relatively close to the frame. But the first real chance came in the 42nd minute after the U.S. had had multiple decent chances. Maybe not enough against a team like Uzbekistan, but the U.S. was clearly in the driver's seat. And then 
Tanner Testament passes the ball right to an Uzbekistan player who drives down in the 42nd minute and draws a save out of Matt Turner. And then Tim Ream did his one Tim Ream a game, which I'd kind of forgotten about because it felt like he's been solid for such a long time in recent history, at least. But I, I remember now that the rep for Tim Ream in, in some respects was he just kind of has one mistake a game and doesn't have the recovery speed to get back and try to bail himself out. And that's exactly what happens in first half stoppage time. Gets caught off guard on the ball. Uzbekistan pick his pocket. They drive down, shoot, and Matt Turner cleans up the mess. It felt like to me, Taylor, that those were the couple of moments that really shifted the narrative of this game. And, yep. and the sub to begin with, with De La Torre coming off, who I thought was really good, actually. Way better than I thought he would be at the six. Given that I think we saw him in that role back in March in some Nations League games and he struggled. He was really quite good and clean and progressive and, and set the tempo well. And he comes off, Testament comes on, mistakes start to happen, and, and then the U.S. kind of have to rescue a couple of goals back in stoppage time in the second half. Uh, this is not the greatest tease. Let's take one more break, and then we'll come back with my thoughts on Tanner Testman, uh, as well as with some more individual performers and a look ahead to Oman. Back soon. Welcome back. When last we left you, Joe had run through his thoughts on Tanner Testman, or at least his opening thoughts on Tanner Testman, uh, and I would largely echo them. Uh, the the one moment you mentioned in the 22nd minute, it's uh, Ali Jonoff has the shot that greens off the post, or off the crossbar, excuse me, and that to me was a slightly worrying moment because I think it's Jedi Robinson out of position, and then he doesn't really sprint to get back into it, so that's why Ali Jonoff is able to drive at the defense. It's Tim Ream backing off too much, I think not really expecting a shot from 30 yards that does end up happening but in those moments as you sort of laid out already it's not great but it's not really anything that i i look at as being like that is unacceptable ream backing off a little bit is maybe not ideal maybe you want to close that down a bit but also you don't want to dive in get beaten and now that player is in on goal i'm okay with a shot from 30 yards because it's low percentage if you're going to concede that moment there i did feel like jedi had some loose moments i did feel like he I understand now why Berhalter was like, we need some depth. We need someone to maybe challenge Jedi a little bit just so he kind of doesn't get too caught up in the dribbles forward. But I don't really have too much negative to say about that. I agree with you then that in the 42nd minute, that moment with Tessman where he is just very sloppy on the ball, very sloppy back pass that leads to that shooting chance, that feels like the door is opened a little bit. And I think that it then is followed by Reem having that moment in the 41st or 45th plus one minute. So there's a reality in which, or an, an alternate reality in which Uzbekistan score. And now we go into halftime and it's one-to-one -one and it's just a very different game. It's a very different outlook for that second half. The U S has to, maybe they're planning to experiment. Maybe they're playing, planning to give players a half once they're up, but if they're not up, are they changing it up? Are they having to kind of chase the game and make something happen? I just think those moments of sloppiness, uh, stood out to me much more as signs, number one, that the team wasn't fully switched on, but also worrying signs of what can happen if that team isn't switched on and how quickly they can be punished. And then I think for Tessman, it did, as I said, become a bit of a quicksand game where Very he starts so. to have first touches pop up and go five yards uh, further out than they're supposed to. He has one where the U.S. is trying to build out of the back. They're trying to move the ball under pressure. And he goes for that kind of like it's the goalkeeper to one of the center backs, center back central to that deep midfielder who then first times the ball out wide to the fullback. Now you've broken the press. Now you can attack down the wing. And Tessman's pass is slow it's a little bit in the air and it's cut out and i think the u.s then have to defend aggressively it leads to a corner for uzbekistan nothing comes of it obviously but it's just still those moments that you 
have that have to be sharper and if they're not you have to get over them and that's what it is to be a player at that level is that you make a mistake you get on with it but if you let that loom large in your head you start to make more mistakes and you start to stop playing your game and start to playing a game that's either full of mistakes or is the game your opponent wants you to play and that felt like was the case for Tanner Tessman I won't be shocked if he gets minutes against Oman. I won't be shocked if he doesn't get minutes against Oman. I put him into the category of uh, Alex and Dejas, who we saw this summer be really ineffective out wide and have games where it just you could tell that he wasn't mentally there anymore, that he was shooting when he shouldn't. He was hitting crosses out of bounds, but he was in the squad. And so as long as you're in the squad, we're going to give you minutes. We're going to see what you can do. But I feel like with Zendejas, I think I came away from the Gold Cup thinking, OK, like we can check back in with him in six months or a year and we'll see if anything has changed. I think the same is the case for Tanner Tessman. He's in the camp now. So why don't we see maybe give him 15 minutes against Oman just as a like, hey, let's not leave that one as the only game you played in this camp. But after that, I, I think we don't need to see a lot more of him uh, until maybe he is developed more. Or when we do see him, I will have higher expectations of him. And if he doesn't fulfill them, then I feel like we, we know a good amount about him. And I also agree with you, Joe, that once Luca De La Torre came out, I fully thought Yunus Musa would drop deeper. Maybe Tessman operates as, as sort of a number eight or maybe it's a it's a double pivot because we just want to secure things. So I was surprised that it was him by himself. Maybe Berhalter just wants to see Kenny handle that. And I think if that was the task, the answer is no. Yep, agreed. And just to peel back the curtain for listeners, because I think this explains it the best, Taylor and our Google Doc that we put together before the show started wrote that Tessman is in the Zendejas punishment zone for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zendejas punishment and zone all capitalized. That is the (laughs) official title. Yep. Yeah, that's true. I, the ZPZ, I would, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. The ZPZ is so good. Um, I, I would very much prefer not to see Testament against Oman. But at this point, I've kind of said my, my piece on him. And I feel like I'm just piling on. So I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> in a very different direction. I, I think I've noticed you mentioned him very quickly. Uh, Tillman. And I'm leaving the first name off because I feel like everybody went with the German pronunciation. What a journey and, it's been, man. Somewhere along journey. the way. I feel like he said to U.S. coaches, specifically Burhalter, you guys know it's Malik, right? Because <laughs> everybody seems to have gone from Malik to Malik, where Burhalter said it in the press conference, and I swear that's the first time he has ever called him Malik and not Malik. Uh, so there has to have been a moment where someone said, like, guys, it's Malik. I just want to be very clear. This is how you say my name. Uh, he came in. He draws the penalty. Uh, it was... A very elaborate step over, and then he gets the contact, but he still earns a penalty, Joe. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Tillman's uh, substitute performance? I really liked him, and, and this is a moment where I have to remind myself, uh, if you had a good game in this game, it needs to be taken with a grain of salt, and maybe with a, with a bad game, the salt still needs to be there, but it's going to enhance how bad your game was because the team that you're playing is bad, and salt brings out those extra flavors. So for, for Malik Tillman... Again, that name thing has been a total journey for for all of us. Really, <laughs> it's caught me it's caught me off guard. I I right. liked so much of what he brought. He comes on in the eighty first minute. I clocked like three nice moments from him in a pretty short period of time. I mean, it's it's like 10, 15 minutes that he's on the field. The first one in the eighty third is a great ball to Brendan Aronson. A nice little slip pass that leads to a corner kick. It's good stuff. It's good connector kind of final third stuff. Eighty ninth minute he has a good ball forward to Christian Pulisic in the box. It's not a perfect ball. It's not, uh, it's not one that Pulisic can just pick out super easily. Has a little too much bounce or a little too much speed on it, but still a nice bit of vision from, from Tillman. And then in the 94th minute, he wins that penalty kick after mm. Aronson finds him in the box. Tillman drives to the back line, Uzbekistan lunge in, and it's a clear penalty. I, I would love to see, and I know I'm jumping ahead here, I would love to see Tillman start this next game 
He's not really getting minutes with PSV. So we still haven't learned like a ton about him really from the end of last season with Rangers now into this this new season into September, really. But I want I want to see more because if he's not going to be in the PSV lineup right away, I would love to get another glimpse at him. He looks like a more attacking option than the U.S. have in a lot of those other number eight spots. So I, I would love to see him start next to McKenney. Play McKenney 60, play Tillman the full 90s, not really have having a, a minutes restriction based off of PSV, and move Yunus Musa back to the number six spot and see how that midfield trio looks. Because I, I liked what I saw from Tillman and I, I would like to see more, frankly. Before we move fully into the Oman game, a few more thoughts on this one, but I think that's all uh pretty interesting. And I think largely I agree that midfield works for me in the next game. Uh, we talked about Tim Ream. He has that the oopsie moment. Uh, I thought he was otherwise fine, uh, especially in his long ball distribution. He has a few big diagonals that are directly to feet and, and do lead to attacking moments. So I thought his distribution was good. I thought Chris Richards showed the rust uh, uh, that we maybe would have expected for a player who isn't getting the opportunities that we had hoped he would get at this point. Uh, And it's not as though he has those on the ball mistakes. What I saw was a rustiness in how to defend back to goal or how to defend players with their backs to goal. Because routinely an Uzbek player would show for the ball. Uh, Oftentimes it was uh, Shemurdov, the number 14. I I was tracking them by their numbers at first, uh, who was sort of the central striker for Uzbekistan. When he would drop in, I felt like Richards was very slow to track that. And so you usually, in my mind at least, want the defender with sort of hands in the back, hands on them. You let them know you're there. You don't let them turn. They can either hold the ball up, the attacker, or they can lay it off, or they have to carry it back towards uh, the direction it came. But I felt like Richards was slow and kept letting that player turn. And oftentimes, or at least in the second half, there's two moments when he is slow to track. Then he tries to and almost dives in and gets turned. And attacks develop from there. I think both times they end in corners. uh, And one is that sort of near post shooting opportunity that uh, Turner does well to get down and save. But it was, it was just a moment for me of like, this is what happens when you haven't been playing regularly. When you don't play first team minutes in games, I think you get used to training. You're not quite as sharp. You're not quite as switched on in those moments. And it can be punishing. Uh, he picks up a yellow card, I think, for a similar such incident. I believe, is that Richards or is it, is it uh, McKenzie who comes on and gets the yellow? Uh, Richards has a yellow in the 49th is. minute. Yeah, yeah, for getting turned way too easily. There it is. Thank you for the minute so I can find that one. Um, and... I thought McKinsey was okay, by the way. But uh, Richards, I think, getting turned and getting that yellow, all I could think of, of if this were the original opposition, Brazil or Argentina, that that could have been very, very bad. So yeah. I, I hope we see him get more minutes at club level. I hope we see this partnership, though. I'd be fine with them starting again. I'd really be okay with that entire back four starting the next game, though I think we might get some experimentation there. As I said, before we move fully into Oman, we haven't talked about McKinney. We haven't... We've talked a little bit about Luca De La Torre. There's not much to be said given his limited minutes. We haven't talked fully about Musa. Uh, McKinney or Musa, any uh, specific thoughts for either of them, Joe? I'll just lump them in together. I thought they were mostly fine. I I don't think it was the best game for either of them, but I I didn't think they were bad either. So Musa did his kind of classic Musa stuff. Didn't get on the ball quite as much as maybe you'd like him to, but... I thought he was he was decent in this game, and McKenney had a few more of those playmaking kind of actions than Musa, which is par for the course. They're they're different players, and McKenney is definitely going to give you a little bit more in the final third. But with that comes some extra turnovers and some poor decisions on the ball, and so generally, I, I think those two did well enough. And, and with De La Torre, one quick beat on him. 
I think I, I think I got to some of this earlier, but I was really impressed to reiterate with how he played in the first 30 minutes or so of this game. Fourth minute, fun run forward out of midfield after combining with Musa. And by midfield, I mean the number six spot. Ninth minute, great turn and drive forward after Tim Ream plays him at the base of midfield. There were some really nice moments from De La Torre that, that left me curious about seeing him more in that role. Physically, I am concerned about him. But against a team like Uzbekistan, where you're going to break down a block, he brings a lot of similar things with a little less ability to control the field than Yunus Musa. So I'd still prefer Musa. But having De La Torre in your back pocket as a break glass in case of emergency option. Yeah. You know, I would be curious to see a little bit more when he's back and healthy, and maybe that's Tuesday or maybe that's in October. Break glass in case of emergency, just try not to break his nose if you can right. avoid it. Correct. Uh, we've talked about a few of these substitutions. Uh, let me see here. Christopher Lund makes his USMNT debut, gets 10 minutes, is on the pitch when goals are scored. So there's yep. that. Uh, Tillman draws the penalty. We talked about him. McKenzie comes on in the 64th, and I felt like is fine, but I think we've talked about McKenzie plenty in other episodes. The only two substitutes we haven't mentioned, I thought Brendan Aronson looked exactly like what I expected. I thought he was uh, good individually. I, there's a moment when he does have a sort of dribble, 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 dribble sequence that I think ends in a throw-in, and I really wanted something to come out of that that wasn't just him sort of eventually dribbling into the sideline and knocking it off a player out for a throw. Uh, but overall, I thought he brought some some energy and some dynamism to that attack, and then Ricardo Pepe uh, comes in at, at halftime, gets the goal, and it's a really well-taken goal. Uh, I, like, I just want to note that. It's the sort of the instep power plus placement finish from about 18 to 20, 20 yards out. Uh, I think it's Aronson who receives the ball from Dest in the box, receives on the turn, and then plays the lateral ball across. It might have been a return pass for Dest, but Pepe is there to finish it. Uh, either way, I like that sequence a lot, and I like that goal. So some positives for them. Joe, I'm assuming that means that you've decided to change your entire thought process on Brendan Aronson, and he's now great? Correct. Yep, that's cool. that's exactly right. how this works, and I don't really have anything else to add. Money. Then let's uh, look at that Oman game uh, <laughs> as we close this one out. We won't have Matt Turner. Joe, I hope you're okay. Uh, he has departed camp to be with his partner. I believe they're about to have a child, so he is stepping away. I guess that is kind of a priority. Fine. Uh, which means we'll get uh, a different goalkeeper in goal. Do you have a preference there, Joe, for who you'd like to see? Well, I kind of feel like we should reward Ethan Horvath because he's yeah. been in camp the whole time. And Drake yep. Callender, U.S. soccer, I, I believe he's already been in camp. And then he left camp to go play for Inter Miami in their win against Sporting Kansas City over the weekend. And now I believe he's coming back to camp. I don't know all the intricacies. I'm not, neither one of us are in St. Louis or, or going to the second game. So there are details that I don't know. But I feel like Ethan's been there the whole time. Like, you got to give him some love. I would prefer to see Drake Callender just on on merit or I guess maybe more curiosity. But... I don't really care. So yeah. let's give it to the guy who's been there the whole time, right? Who who I think keeps getting shortchanged wherever he goes in terms of they keep signing new goalkeepers to keep him out of because rotations. He's not that good. How dare that's you? most that's mostly why. How dare you? Uh, Joe, you mentioned that Miami game. Uh, I have a buddy who's a sporting KC fan. He had some friends when the fixtures were I guess not announced, but once Messi was announced, oh, no. uh, they decided they're going to make that trip. Yeah, <laughs> so they went with the supporter section, all excited, and then Messi on the international break. I think they were a little bit bummed out by that one, not least because they end up losing. Uh, so commiserations to the traveling Sporting KC fans who had hoped to see Messi and instead saw a loss. Uh, Joe, what else would you like to see against Oman? I mentioned I wouldn't hate if it was the same back four, but I think I yeah. would like to see 
a little experimentation there. I think it's something that we can afford to do. So maybe that's changes at halftime, or maybe that's just to start. We see Joe Scally, or maybe we see Kevin Paredes in there. Uh, any any permutations you would go for? I, I would love to see Kevin Paredes, and, and maybe mm-hmm. Lund comes off the bench in this game. Paredes yep. does not at left back, and that there are a bunch of potential reasons for that. One could be Baralter doesn't see him as a left back and sees him as a winger. That is possible. One is that Christopher Lund is is coming in. He just filed the one-time switch. It became official. You know, you want to reward that, and so you give him 10 minutes off the bench. He's also a little bit older than Paredes, and so maybe there's something there. And, and the other option is maybe Baralter wanted to save Paredes for this next game and said, hey, you're going to have... 45 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever against Oman, or a brother just might not rate him at all. So who knows what that's going to look like. But I would like to see Kevin Paredes. I'm not too bothered if that's as a starter or maybe coming on at some point in the second half or at halftime. Joe Scally, we won't see either. This is the one I'd seen. I hadn't heard about Turner. Scally, for personal reasons, according to U.S. Soccer, has departed camp. So hope everything's okay there. Oh, no. But that's, he's not. That's going to be some Twitter mongering, isn't it? Could be. I'm hoping that we missed it and that it's already died down while we've been recording. But who knows? So we won't see Scally. So honestly, yeah, keep the back four the same or put Paredes in. Maybe give Miles Robinson a start and let Team yep. Tim Ream have a little bit of a rest as, as Grandpa Ream in this squad. Te- team Ream. But, <laughs> exactly. So other than that, I, I won't be bothered really by almost any combination of players in that back four. All right. And then you mentioned the midfield. I agree with your notes there. Uh, there's maybe a, a, a chance we'll see uh, like s- something else. Like maybe Brandon Aronson starts centrally. Moose is yeah. in, in at the six. But uh, I think as long as we get, I don't know, McKinney and Musa in there, I'm mostly OK with it. Uh, what about the front line? Would you like to see any any changes there like the one that is most possible to me is Pepe starting Balogun making a substitute appearance I don't know if I would love that I think I would like to see Balogun continue to get reps with the U.S. to just continue to build uh, relationships I I love Tim Weah so I always want Tim Weah to start but maybe this is a Cade Cowell game where we see what he can do let him come in Uh, I'm not really sure I care too much about who starts this game I think it's definitely going to be another one of who stands out in a good way, who stands out in a bad way, what can we learn about individuals coming into this team and how they contribute to the performance or how they take away from it. I get teased, justifiably so, sometimes for when I end sentences with certain tones that illustrate mm-hmm. whether or not I really feel like this thing is Uh-oh. is true or not true. Taylor saying maybe this is a Cade Cowell game in that tone, um, I think <laughs> is exactly like what I do a lot. I, I'm not sold that you really want to see Cade Cowell in this game, Taylor, nor should you, frankly. I, I, I think based off of what we've seen from him in Major League Soccer this season, I, I want the same front three to start in this game. I think minutes I'll tell, wise, I'll tell you this. It's basically, you're correct in your read on that one. I do want to see him. I just feel like I kind of already know how it's going to go. Yes, Especially against an Oman team that I expect to defend deep, uh, probably put a lot of people behind the ball, probably put a lot of people in the channels when they can. I I see it as a performance that doesn't really uh lend itself to Cade Cowell standing out in a positive way. Is that yes. the best way to put it? That, Retain. Retain. Yeah, okay, there we go. So maybe it's like a a second half substitution when things are a little more stretched and he can get some space to cook. But but I foresee if he starts a, a, a takeaway being like, wow, he can't really create in those sort of uh when the defense is bunkered or when he doesn't have space to run and I feel like that's kind of been the feeling about Cade Cowell until he makes that move or until he adds new wrinkles to his game. And that's where that hesitation for like, yeah, I'd like to see him. But I also kind of feel like I know how it's going to go. That's where yeah. that comes from. 
Yeah, I think we can we can go without it on Tuesday, but we'll see what Baralter thinks. I, I would go with the same front three and probably just swap a little bit of how the rotations were made. So Polisic plays the whole game. I might take him off a little bit early, save his legs from Milan just a, a little bit with Champions League starting up in like 10 days or whatever it is. And then I, I would maybe have Weah start the whole time, and that way you just kind of flipped what happened in this game against Uzbekistan. And I would start Balogun because in terms of things that I want to see outside of the lineup, I want to see how Tillman looks in midfield and, and sort of how he influences the attack. And maybe if someone in his profile can help get Balogun a little more involved. But I also want to see if this is what we think the U.S.'s first choice front three is. And I believe that. Taylor, I think you believe that as well. Like, I want to see how Weah and Pulisic get Balogun involved, right? Tim Weah is really good at combining. When you watch him play, he's going to hit the cover off the ball inside the 18, and he's going to combine. Like, those are the two things that you can expect from him in the attack. He and Dest on that right side, all through World Cup qualifying, now in these friendlies, they're just like one-twoing their way down the right wing, and McKenney sometimes joins, and they can they can bring him into those triangles. But those, those combinations haven't yet really extended ever, to be honest, to the number nine spot. So I want to see, can Wea get Balogun more involved? Can Pulisic drive inside on that right foot? cut inside and play some one-twos at Balogun and just get him into a larger role in possession and then use that chemistry and use some of those touches and movements that you get off of those sequences to find Balogun inside the box a little more often. I want to see just another rep because to be honest, reps are few and far between for these players. You don't get a lot of games. It's one of the biggest issues and biggest challenges with being a national team coach. Greg Baralter doesn't have a lot of time to see these players gel. So I think you want to take advantage of maybe another 45 or another 60 minutes or so of that trio from the jump against Oman. Final question, Joe, for that big jump, because it is a big jump. Uzbekistan 74 in the FIFA World Rankings. I don't want to alarm any U.S. fans, but Oman 73. So it's going to be tough, Joe. Uh, what Do you care? Honestly, do you care about the result? Do you care about like the score line, or is it really just a player evaluation standpoint? Like If the U.S. wins... 5-0. Are you automatically feeling better? Or if it's still a sort of Pulisic dribbles into six people, the ball kind of pops loose and then somebody scores, do you uh, focus more on that than the actual scoreline? I focus more on the performance than the result almost mm. all of the time, regardless yeah, of what the, the context is. But I will say, I think there is value in winning games to foster that culture, right? That says, hey, we're, we're here to dominate this region. Like this game's played in the United States. Like we're in North America. We are here to win games. I think that's useful, but I also think you need to balance that with, well, if we win, it's a fluke. And, and this game against Uzbekistan wasn't a fluke. The U.S. was the better team, just maybe not by the same margin that we would want from this group and that Greg Baralther should want from this group. I think you you still want to think about, okay, did we actually play good soccer? Like, are we learning things? Are we developing as a unit? So that's important. But yeah, I, I kind of do care, or at least if I was inside the coaching staff, I would really care about the result and say, hey, we, we want to continue to string wins together. We're about winning as a group, and we want to get better while we win. There we go. Well, Joe Lowry, thank you for taking the time on this Monday morning. Very early for you uh, to come on to discuss the USA's win over Uzbekistan. When are you flying out? What, what time are you heading to the airport? Uh, we'll leave in a couple hours, I think, an hour and a half, two hours or so. So uh, we're, we're getting in, we're getting out, we're making moves. But go. honestly, I was, I was excited to talk about this game, even though the game felt a little bit weird. Uh, the circumstances leading up to it with Greg Baralter and taking the summer off, and we still don't really know what he and Matt Crocker were doing over the summer. There's lots of weird stuff around the program, but it's fun to see these guys play. Like the first choice group of guys, Wea, Polisic, Balogun, McKenney, Musa, the, the back line, really, Matt Turner. It, it's fun to come out and see, okay, what are these guys going to cook up? Because we know they're capable of cooking some stuff up. 
So I, I was pumped for this show. I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch the game on Tuesday. I don't know when I'll get to it. It's probably going to be a few days later, but I, I want to see this team continue to evolve and improve and see what they're going to look like against Germany in October and, and trending towards Copa America and all that jazz. There we go. All that jazz indeed. Well, we've reached the, the phase of recording when, uh, my dog sleeping on the bed behind me starts to sleep dream. So we're going to end it there, Joe, before she becomes too audible. But Joe Lowry, thank you again. Safe travels. Enjoy your trip. You will be missed. We look forward to your return, but I'm glad you're getting some time away, even if you are going to then be working on that time away because you are still Joe Lowry after all. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. But Taylor, thank you. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for the trip. Looking forward to some time off and then looking forward to being back and, and diving go. right back in. All right. Well, we will be back tomorrow with an international window roundup, I think focusing heavily on Germany, who have parted ways with Hansi Flick. Uh, We're going to talk about the U.S.'s uh, comprehensive, emphatic win over Oman later on the week. Some list of questions. A big thing episode in there, too. A busy week ahead. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 